0: Welcome to Supplemental Materials, a podcast about genetics, genomics, and the people working on the forefront of human health. Sponsored by the Jackson Laboratory, leading the search for tomorrow's cures. Learn more at jacks.org, jax.org, J-A-X dot
1: Welcome, everybody, to Supplemental Material, Episode 7. I'm Dave Mellert.
2: I'm Annalisa Lucido.
1: And today, we have a very special guest. Every episode, we have a special guest. I say that every single episode. Yeah,
2: we're going to upset the people that came before Travis.
1: I really believe, though, that every, <laughs> every person is their own unique snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week's, uh, this episode's unique snowflake is Dr. Travis Hinson. Welcome, Travis. Well, thanks, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Travis has a special distinction of being the first physician scientist that we have hired here at the Jackson Laboratory for genomic medicine. So mm-hmm.
2: that's right. And he's also the second joint appointment between Jack's GM and the University of Connecticut Health Center.
1: Yeah, so you're kind of in, in many ways the prototype for
3: uh, the direction that we'd like to go here. So mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's exciting to be the first. So, hopefully how do you not, And hopefully, there'll be more. This will be blazing the road for many more to come. Yeah, definitely. Behind. Definitely. Right,
1: so, tell us a little bit about the joint appointment. So, how mm-hmm. does that work? What does that entail?
3: Yeah, you know, so I, as you know, I've been here about six months now, and I'm getting to know uh, what that entails as we go. This is an appointment that allows me to see patients in the hospital, uh, really only, you know, steps away from where my laboratory is. So, the hospital is at University of Connecticut Health Center. I see patients in cardiology and and, you know, I, I just walk down the hill back to my lab at Jackson Labs, and I can do research here in, in the laboratory around um, amazing people who are interested in genomics and personalized medicine. So really, from a practical standpoint, that's what it means. Um, but it also has the added benefit of being part of a, of a medical school where I can have access to medical students, and that's a really rich environment. Um, and then, again, being here at JAX is, is extra special, too.
2: Great. So what are you focusing on in your laboratory?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, um, I am clinically trained as a heart specialist. So I'm a cardiologist. So there's a unique opportunity to uh, take insights from my patients with heart disease and bring it to the lab and and try to understand um, from a mechanism standpoint uh, what's going on in their hearts. Uh, So really mostly around um, heart patients specifically, diseases called cardiomyopathies, which are diseases of the heart muscle. Um, and, and and on a foundation of genetics, so typical patients who have a family history of, of these diseases uh, and who have mutations in certain genes um, that cause cardiomyopathy. So, how do you plan to approach this
1: from the standpoint of genomics? Like, where where do you see genomics taking treatment of cardiomyopathy?
3: Um, I think our understanding of the genetic basis of a lot of diseases are expanding rapidly, and heart diseases is, is is not uh, unique in that sense. So. We understand, especially in, in certain kinds of heart diseases like hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and that's a disease uh, where the heart muscles are thickened, um, it's predominantly a genetic disease. And over the last 10 to 20 years, we, we've identified about seven genes that most of those genes make proteins that actually make the heart beat. Uh, those sort of mechanical proteins. And and so we, we have a good idea of which of the genes um, are doing that in that disease. There are some diseases where only in the last couple of years we've understood the genetic basis like dilated cardiomyopathies. So um, the major gene that caused that is called Titan. About 20% of patients who have a an inherited component of their disease will have mutations in that gene. And so what we're doing in the lab is really taking those seven or eight genes Um, and then trying to study them in model systems that we develop in the lab um, to try to understand um, not only which genes are important, which mutations are important, and and how they actually lead to the problems that patients have, which is is not an easy uh, question.
1: Yeah, so I've I've seen a little bit um, of the system that you use, and it's really cool. Can you you kind of walk us through how that works? This is like an in vitro
3: system. So I'll give you a little history on, on the heart. It may not be surprising that it's really hard to get access to people's hearts. Um, (laughs) It's not like cancer or a blood cell. Um, Actually, taking a little piece of the heart out of the patient is very dangerous. Um, Probably about one in a hundred would pass away if you did that. And so it's been difficult to have uh, human data um, from a standpoint of having actually a biopsy for heart disease. On the other end, there's been a lot of work uh, making mouse models, for example, and it turns out that we've done a lot of important work in mice, but they have—they uh, don't recapitulate a lot of the diseases that we see in patients. It's not that surprising um, because a lot of their physiology is different. So the normal human heart beats around 60 to 100 beats a minute, and the mouse beats at around 500 or 600. So I've been very interested in my career um, to, to use mice, of course, but then to try to build a human uh, in vitro model. So the model that I've been developing uh, with some uh, great collaborators is a tissue model so what we do is uh, because of the development of induced pluripotent stem cells uh, we can actually take cells that will eventually become or be directed to become beating human heart cells and actually we can do mutations into them the patients have or we could take them from a patient that has a disease and we could uh, actually reform a simplified heart structure or tissue in the dish and and with some engineering approaches uh, we can build tools that measure um, function in those in those systems, so we we have a human a completely human system um, that's a little more complicated than just having cells sitting in a dish, uh, but not quite as complicated as the human heart and we can do all kinds of fun things with them, uh, so I think it's going to be a powerful model uh, going forward.
2: Have you used tissues or uh, reprogrammed uh, cells from individuals with these conditions and found differences in a dish
3: hmm. Yeah, that, that's the dream. Oh, that's the dream. Uh, yeah, okay. no. So we we have we have done it. Um, uh, about last year, we we published a paper uh, looking at again this disease called dilated cardiomyopathy, and this is a disease where the heart is uh, it actually enlarges um, and thins out. And this disease um, is uh, our understanding of the genetic basis growing quickly. About like twenty uh, percent of patients who have this disease will have mutations in titan. Mm-hmm. It's called titan because it's the largest protein in the body. It's remarkable. Um, and if you have a truncation-type mutation and we, we make your tissue in the dish, what we see is that the tissues beat very weakly, just like the patients. And, in fact, we, we chose patients, actually, who have very severe forms of dilated cardiomyopathy, generally leading to needing a cardiac transplant around age 18 to 20. And we were able to, to make their tissues from their blood cells. And then we were actually able to use genome engineering approaches like CRISPR-Cas9 to put in the same mutation uh, into, into a cell and either way you do it actually you find that the, the tissues are, are quite weak and, and now we're actually turning to the other disease hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and we're trying to see what that will look like in the dish and, and some of that work is ongoing in the lab so we think that there's a, there's a rationale to push forward with the model
2: mm-hmm. and so back to the the clinical aspects of this work just um i don't know a lot about these diseases but how do they how do patients typically present do they do they come to you having already suffered from a heart attack, or is this something that one can pick up on during a routine exam? Mm. How, do, how does that how does that work?
3: Yeah, It's a little bit of all of the above. Um, usually, the first way we find out about it is from either a patient or a family member who has um, significant symptoms from heart failure. Mm-hmm. And heart failure is as a syndrome where the heart doesn't produce enough pump enough blood to meet the needs of the body, or does so at the cost of having a lot of um, backing up a fluid into the lungs called congestion. Um, and when patients have heart failure, they they present to, to doctors and cardiologists. And when a cardiologist notes that someone has a family history of a similar disease, then we automatically think about genetics as being a big, big part of that. So we, we end up seeing these patients um, because they have symptoms or, or, or um, sometimes actually can uh, have a sudden death from, from some of these diseases and then, but again, we can sometimes find that we'll we'll want to take care of their family members too because they're also at risk for developing it. Like many other diseases, um, cardiomyopathies often have a, a long period of dormancy, so to speak. So you have a, a slight weakened heart um, that can progress, and it can actually be you know, when you look at it under ultrasound, for example, it can be very weak. But patients actually acclimate to it, and so we we often want to screen family members pretty early mm-hmm. to understand um, whether they have uh, the phenotype.
1: Do you think having the personal connection with the patients that just comes along with the doctor patient relationship do you think that gives you a different perspective on the science maybe a different
3: mm. I don't know sense of urgency or yeah motivation. i think i think it like uh lights the fire underneath you to to really push hard and spend the extra time um i think it gives you uh, so i think there's the personal interpersonal piece to to being a physician I think it gives you the sort of light at the end of the tunnel view. Um, You know where you're going towards, and you know the details around that. Sometimes um, if you don't take care of patients, you don't understand what it means to take a drug or what side effects could be or complications, Mm -hmm. and it helps you sort of understand the context of your work in in the greater uh, space of of, uh, medical science. Um, It also gives you a, a unique perspective on the nuances of diseases, What is a term like heart failure. It's a very non-specific term. What does it mean for a patient, and how can we develop, you know, drugs or tools to help patients feel better or live longer?
2: And so, I think you you probably touched on this earlier, but just, um, I'm curious to know how, as Dave asked previously, how how does genomics factor into what you're studying? Um, mm. you, you've mentioned a lot about genetics, but of course, genomics is the entirety of the genome. Um, what mm-hmm. else might you find?
3: Well, we like to find yeah. new genes; would be fun. Right. Um, there are many genetic questions that are important for heart disease. Um, we, we we need to know the all the types of genes that, that can lead to an abnormal heart. I would say a lot of those genes are probably we have a good idea of which ones those are. The second biggest challenge is understanding how do we um, decode what variation in those genes mean. I think that's probably the biggest challenge that we'll have in human genetics um, in, in my lifetime because it turns out that there are a lot of very rare mutations or gene variants, and you can't look into the literature or do a search to find maybe what they mean. You may not see enough patients or people who have those variants that allow us to say if they're so-called pathogenic or disease-causing. So we need to develop ways either with, uh, you know, sequencing thousands and millions of patients or building tools like we do in the lab where we try to have functional readouts for variation to be able to help decode what it means for patients. So in my sense, uh, a, a huge need would be really just the functional genetics. What, what do the genes mean and how does it, sometimes it may be one gene variant in a certain family, history, family background um, because of either environment or other modifications uh, can be, cause a really bad form of the disease. Mm-hmm. But in another family, that same variant may have a mild form, and we, we need to be able to understand or translate um, those variables. And those are big challenges. So genomics has a lot to play for, for patients.
1: So I, I know you haven't been here that long, but uh, do you see any collaborations shaping mm-hmm. up that you think will help drive your, your research?
3: Oh, I, it's an amazing environment here at Jackson. Um, we have evolving collaborations um, with Paul Robeson, who's uh, in the single-cell genomics group. We had him on as a guest mm-hmm. here. Great, great. Uh, you know, we're trying to be able, with single-cell resolution, try to understand how genes play a role in either the, the beating heart cells, so-called cardiomyocytes, or the structural cells of the heart, the fibroblasts, we can begin to deconstruct that with some of the tools that Paul has uh, designed and developed. Um, Chai Lin is uh, involved in in our sequencing um, technology group, and we're interested, working with her, to look at the 3D structure of the genome and how that relates to uh, making cardiomyocytes. So, you know, I've only been here six months, but I think those are two clear examples of of exciting things that have been uh, empowered by the environment here at the Jackson Lab.
0: You're listening to Supplemental Materials, sponsored by the Jackson Laboratory.
1: So, Annalisa, you wanted to ask him something about uh, a trip that he took
2: recently? Yes, yes. I'd been talking to Travis before his trip to Rome uh, in early June, so I'd love to hear how that went.
3: Oh, thanks. Thanks for the qu- And You were very helpful in helping us plan how to handle having a six-month-old baby. My baby came with us and a uh, wonderful uh, wife and mother-in-law and we oh you had a mother-in-law i had a Instant babysitting. that was our secret oh, very nice you know, it was funny because we would take all these wonderful pictures and post them on on facebook and our friends would say how are how you able to pull that off with it with your six months old and then i snuck in the, the little hint that we had our mother-in-law who was really helpful um, but oh, we had an amazing great. time we you know the, the sort of historical areas and the coliseum and then the rich food and culture of, of rome even having a day where my mother-in-law took care of my, my son and we we took a fast train to Venice for our uh, second year wedding anniversary. It was wonderful. And the people, Italian people, were, were so gracious and welcoming of us. So, And they love babies there.
2: Yes. Yes. It's a very family-oriented culture. Yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. So, yeah. So on that tangent, well, you know, we love getting to know the guests a little bit more personally. So it would be, you know, it'd be great to know how you, how you got to Jack's. Where were mm. you before this and before that? And, you know, what? Mm. What brought you here? So
3: that you know, I started off uh, life in uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, so I'm a Southern boy at heart. Um, I grew up. Actually, I was born in a town called Central, Louisiana. Very creative term. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Central, and uh, my we had a small farm. Um, my parents met actually with some ho- horses. They liked to show horses. which is kind of cool. And then, um, so I spent 18 years in Louisiana. I thought I was gonna do, I really love science and, and, and was pretty good at math. So, um, you know, I would look around my neighborhood and there were a lot of chemical engineers that worked at Exxon and they did mm. oil refinery work and they, they seemed to be really smart. And so I set out to go to college to do chemical engineering. Probably halfway through college, I had the realization that um, it was more interesting to me to, to, to apply science to people. And so I, I made a switch about halfway through into doing um uh, medical school uh, mm-hmm. planning to go to medical school, so I switched to chemistry and I bought that that time and that and I went to the University of Pennsylvania to do that in Philadelphia. One of the themes is that I've slowly moved more north as i <laughs> now I'm a little south, but um got to the University of Pennsylvania switched and did chemistry instead, and actually got involved in some uh, work on um uh, gene therapy, mm-hmm. uh, especially around the cardi- cardiovascular system, trying to make, for example, heart valves last longer. Um, one way you, we tried to do it was to put a virus on them that would prevent calcification. So you can do a lot of cool things with gene therapy to try to make things work better for patients. And that was also a cool kind of engineer bioengineering hybrid way to go. So you, I was slowly moving to biology. Um, and then I, I went to medical school at Harvard Medical School, where I became, and about the same time I started medical school, the Human Genome Project had had completed the sequence of of the the first human genome, and as you can imagine, it was it was really remarkable, and um, everyone was excited to do genetics, and so I moved to do a genetic project, working in the lab of uh, John and Cricket Sidman, uh, who are, who are done a lot of the work to establish the genes that cause cardiomyopathy, and I was able to by the time I actually joined the lab, a lot of those genes were discovered. Even before the genome project was um, was 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 there, and I um, became uh, interested in just how to how to map genes. So I did worked on this disease called Bjarnstad syndrome, uh, which is a, a deafness uh, syndrome. They also have um, something called pili torti, which is uh, literally twisted hairs. They have a mm-hmm. hair problem, and we found the gene that causes that. and And that really was remarkable that you could actually find a gene that causes a disease for people. Um, and so, yeah, and so then, I, I from medical school, I decided to focus on, um, you know, doing understanding, really being able to translate genetics of cardiovascular disease as a career, and uh, and really, you know, I think um, the career suits what I've always been interested in. I think the ability to combine rich science with um, something that impacts palpably in people in your community and um something that when you sort of look back on your life you feel like you've contributed something that will last past your time and i thought that that was uh i think i still to this day i think that's a huge benefit of being a physician scientist so i did that in boston and i spent about 12 years um at harvard and then the hospitals associated with it like brigham and women's hospital and did my training so i went through and did um internal medicine training at mass general and then focused to specialize in, in, in the cardiovascular system at Brigham and Women's Hospital. So yeah. did did you know Charles? No, so my uh, – si- John Simon knew Charles because yeah, he okay. was yeah. – but I think – I never ran into Charles uh, because Charles was in Brigham before he – We're talking about Charles Lee, by yes, the way, I guess yes. I should say. <laughs> yeah. the director yeah. of Dex. One and only. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure I, I walked past him.
2: Well, these institutions are enormous.
3: Yeah. And then I just, I looked and then it was sort of, uh, you know, where do I do the next phase of my career? And I wanted to find a place that had a shared mission, um, to address patients one at a time on a foundation of genetics. Some people may call that precision medicine or, uh, or whatnot. And, you know, the, what was special about Jack's, um, was that, that that's what the mission of the whole place was, or it is. And uh, they, when, when I came and visited, it was clear that we saw eye to eye. And I think being at an institution where you're aligned um, with the vision of the leaders and, and all the members is a really great thing to be part of. And then I have to say that the other piece that really made it work for me was that you know, being a, a physician is a, is a full-time job by itself. And so to do both, you need to have both parts in support of you. And Bruce Liang, who is the dean of the School of Medicine here, and also a cardiologist who also trained at Brigham and Women's Hospital, um, like Charles Lee, uh, he came before here, uh, understood what it meant to provide, um, uh, you know, the sort of uh, support to be able to do physician science, and uh, and so yeah, I think that's why we did the one one and a half hour trek down south again to the Jackson Labs here in Connecticut, and it's been wonderful.
2: Yeah, well, we know that. Uh Charles was very, very excited to have you join us, so uh yes, it seems like it 's just a perfect match match all around um but yes, as you move north, do you ever look back south and are there things that you miss about mm. about the South?
3: <laughs> yeah, I think there are um I really you know my family's in the South, and I think the South has a special um warmth to it the people uh they they value family uh, relationships, quality of life. And that's something I try to maintain with me, even when I'm um, you know, in Massachusetts or Connecticut. Uh, <laughs> I, don't everyone, know, I don't know. Everyone yeah. is
1: incredibly cold. And no, well, the weather's cold, so <laughs> maybe that
3: that, that does something. But um, you know, I think in Louisiana, special even among the South, mm-hmm. and in the sense that it's a melting pot culturally. Um, food is you know, we we like to talk. I heard you like to talk about food. So, yeah. Um, yeah. They have the Cajun influence, the Creole food. Um, and also, and not only is a food like a melting pot, but it represents the people really who came from all over the world um, to 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 sort populate in the mouth of the Mississippi there in Louisiana, and have created a unique environment. I love to visit there. Uh, I, I have my family there. Um, you know, who knows where the future may may lead me? Maybe I'll be back there again. You know, so yeah. I've I've never been to that area. I've always wanted to
1: visit New Orleans. That's yes. one of Julia's favorite places to visit.
2: So. She's been she's been several times.
1: Yeah, well, I, I know – yeah, I think twice. Um, I think ASM goes there with some mm. regularity. Okay. It was at least there once.
2: Well, before Katrina was a major place for um, the, ma- the big neuroscience conference. Oh, mm. SFN? SFN oh, used to okay. be there too. Um, wow. Yes, I'd love to go. I haven't mm. been either. I've heard nothing but fabulous things. Mm-hmm.
3: Highly recommend. Maybe not in August. It's so hot. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a fabulous place. So, so speaking mm-hmm. of food um, – we generally
1: ask people, especially people who are new to the area, like, where are you finding? So you have a small child, so you're
2: probably
3: mm-hmm. not going out an awful lot. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, he's uh, not walking yet, so you're still okay. Although right, so, okay, right. yeah. okay. well,
3: his bedtime is like seven. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we know all the happy hours that start at four. I'm yeah. <laughs> quite a fan of happy hours. Um, but, sorry,
1: but yeah, I mean, are you usually cooking or mm. going out to eat or, or what's the
3: yeah story? i think i think a lot of times we've been we have been trying to cook um we're pretty simple eaters mm-hmm. i have to say we um we you know like michael stitzel i don't know if we talked about his, his fascination with costco or yes um, yeah. <laughs> yeah he actually did cover that <laughs> he did cover it okay well i won't cover it in as much detail or uh but we 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 do simple things we we like to cook grilled chicken salads and at home we keep it very easy just so that so that it can, we can try to stay healthy and and um and, and have time for the baby mm-hmm. um and we try to go out from time to time um we enjoy sushi we've found a couple of good sushi places um in town and and um, you know just the normal stuff I don't think we have any secrets or you know we've only been here a couple of months, so um maybe next time we talk I'll have better you have better, better recommendations for that. yeah right now we're pretty simple maybe when our baby's a little older we can at Chuck E. Cheese's or something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I want to go. Yeah.
1: What, uh, what else have you gotten to explore the area mm-hmm. very much?
3: Yeah, I really like to fish, so that's one thing I've been trying to do.
1: Um,
2: oh, Dave, you may have a fishing partner.
3: Yeah, well, I mean we had we haven't even been out once.
2: Yeah.
1: This year. So. What kind of fishing do you do? Um, I mean nothing complicated, just a spinning reel and yeah. you know, drop a worm usually. Um, yeah.
3: But uh, back, I'm from Michigan. We used to go out on the lake and fish for, like, walleye and sure. stuff. and stuff. So. Yeah, so my father's coming um, next weekend to visit from Louisiana, and we grew up as a father-son thing we would do. So I'm going to take him up to the Quabbin Reservoir in, mm-hmm. in Massachusetts, and we typically will rent a little tiny boat with a tiny motor on it, and we'll just go off, and who knows if we, we probably won't catch anything. But um, I used to do that a lot when I lived in Boston we would just drive over there you have to get it's kind of fun you have to get there right at 6 a.m. when the pl- yeah. place opens or you don't get a boat oh, because no it's kidding. so it's so busy uh, but it's beautiful that you're not allowed to have like a house on the on the reservoir it's untouched the water is crystal clear and there's loons and turkeys and um, bald eagles so um, I'm looking very forward to to hanging out with my pops
1: yeah. I, so supposedly there's pretty good trout fishing in the Farmington River. Mm. They stock it.
3: So have like, you have you have you done it yet? I haven't, no. I wanna yeah. you know, buy some. Well, next time you wanna stuff. go. All right, <laughs> let's see. I have a spinning reel. Actually I don't know how to fly fish, so I don't wanna admit that, but I know how to do this fishing. For some reason
1: I I don't know, I pictured you like, you know, the southern like fly fishing oh. you know, but uh
3: Oh, well. Yeah, no, I would love to. That's I'm built, I have a long life hopefully ahead of me to do fly fishing and these sort of things. Did, but did you ever uh noodle uh, catfish? No, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't think that's that's more like Oklahoma. I think <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there's nuances within the south. Yeah, we we, we draw the line at noodling, yeah. <laughs> um, but we, we do a lot. Actually, we have really great fishing in Louisiana. There's um fantastic saltwater fishing, mm-hmm. it's actually the state's called the sportsman's paradise because there's so many great uh, hunting and fishing spots, but um, and my father and I used to do a lot of that when I was younger. Yeah. But
1: yeah. I have a, a cousin who's a marine biologist. She has a boat that she they take out for research, and
3: I guess they. Well, you know fish what? Just put boat. a fishing rod on that. Yeah, research exactly. Vessel, you yeah. Know? <laughs> research the fish stocks of the ocean. So, yeah. what
2: else do they? What what primarily do people fish for in Louisiana? Catfish?
3: So, if you're doing it, yeah, so you sort of break it into saltwater in okay. the ocean and freshwater. So, in the saltwater. Um, I think the most desirable fish would be a redfish okay. um which is really if you go to new orleans you'll get to try black and red fish which is mm. kind of a very nice dish to have and then there's these trout called speckled trout which are not the trout that we think about in rivers like the farmington but they're sea trout and those are super good and then if you go really far out you can catch all the really fun big fish like tuna mm. so we my father and i we did yellowfin tuna once wahoo almost anything you can imagine is in the gulf yeah, and snapper, it really you could keep... And then when you go in the other category, which is freshwater, typically um, bass or catfish would be the most common things to, to go for. So you can, depending on your taste of adventure, you can pick one or the other, but they they all taste really good, and, and you always have a good time, even if you, you don't catch anything. So Are are you a fan of team sports at all? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the, so my role in team sports is if Louisiana has a team that I'm, I'm basically a fan of that team if they don't have a team that i'm free to go so that's why i'm a, a great boston red Sox fan yeah. <laughs> I, was, I always try to have to ex- i give you that intro because i was you know there's no you have to defend team. your, your yeah because i don't want to be like because when I, I mean i was so fortunate that when i was in boston the first year or two i was there they lost the yankees like you know and and um game seven by an Aaron boone walk off home run and People had been hurting for 80-plus years of having spoiled their opportunity to win a World Series. And then you know, within the next year or two, we just spun out so many World Series championships, so I became very spoiled. But I'm not a bandwagon fan because Louisiana doesn't have a baseball team. (laughs) Um, And then I like the New Orleans Saints, and and the Pats are a second to the Saints. But but I love team sports. Uh, It's a lot of fun. And um, you know, you're so close to, to Boston to be able to drive up to some of the games, so mm-hmm. definitely plan to take advantage of that. And I think we're getting a new minor league team here, is that right? Uh, or are there are one yeah, oh, it's the, the stadium. The yard goats, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, maybe that the is,
3: stadium opened up or something like
2: that I, here. In isn't Hartford. it still in construction? I don't know. Dunkin' Donuts politics. Field,
1: I think. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> passed it on the highway. I see people wearing um the team like logo already. The it's a goat goat head. And it's a yard goat. I don't think a yard goat is actually a goat, but the mascot is a goat, and they're called the. yard Was cares.
3: Connecticut known for their amazing yard goats? Is that why they're, they're I calling I, Connecticut yard goats? I, yeah, I don't. I can't recall what a yard goat actually. I mean, is. how many different kinds of goats I can't are there? It. I'm just yeah. surprised they had to like uh, you know specialize the yard goat as opposed to like <laughs> you know, the hill goat. Or when I think
1: yard goat. I think like somebody bought a, a goat because they didn't want to mow their lawn. Or well, something, actually, but. so I was telling you, I grew up
3: in Louisiana, and we had like horses and things when I was really young. We also had a goat, and I think I may have been four or five years old. And I'll never forget this goat because you know, and at the time you don't realize this, but like goats will eat anything. And he would literally eat. It was a billy goat. He would try to eat the clothes off of my back. So he would, <laughs> he just would bite into anything that I had. He was crazy. We had to get rid of him because he was uh, so oh. crazy. But uh, that's my my goat so. experience. <laughs> so that that's a yard goat. That's what we'll call it. Here. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> okay. a, that was probably a yard
1: goat. So I may I may need to not go to those games then. This has been a great conversation. So thank you very much for joining us, Travis.
2: No, it's great to hear about your work. Thank yeah. you.
1: My pleasure. And anytime. You know, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have you back here. Yeah. yeah. Have a maybe a topical podcast of some sort. So Sure. All right. So thanks again. And thank you, Annalisa. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.
0: You've been listening to Supplemental Materials, a podcast about genetic science and the people working on the forefront of human health. Sponsored by the Jackson Laboratory leading the search for tomorrow's cures. Learn more at jax.org, J J-A-X A dot O-R-G.